Hello and welcome to Unlearn Now Learn, the survivor-led podcast that explores all things domestic violence. I'm your host, Abby, and today we have another really important topic um, that relates to understanding more about domestic violence. So today we're talking about why we stay in abusive relationships and why we eventually leave. And this can be a bit of a controversial topic. Um, So recently I actually saw um, a video clip from an interview with a musician who's known as FKA Twigs and she's recently come out about her abusive relationship with Shia LaBeouf and an interviewer asked her the question, you know, why did you stay? And you can even see the discomfort in the interviewer as she asks the question because as she's saying it, you can tell that she knows that it's a controversial thing to ask. And I really liked her response to this question. She says, you know what, I'm actually not going to answer that question because I think too often we always put the responsibility on the victim for leaving when what we should be asking is, why is someone being abusive? So I really appreciated her response to this and I completely agree with her that, um, you know, asking this question can perpetuate victim blaming. It puts all the responsibility on someone who's being abused when really nobody is responsible for abusive behavior except the person who is abusive. So I do want to preface the episode by saying that a lot of survivors are used to hearing this question. You know, we're used to hearing, well, if it was so bad, why did you stay? Um, you know, it really couldn't be that bad, or it's probably being exaggerated. And this is such a big misconception. And you have to be so careful around this because it is a form of victim blaming. So for survivors, part of the healing process is being able to reflect on how they found themselves in a violent situation and starting to sort of put the pieces back together in the aftermath. And we can't rush this process or take away someone's personal authority by making assumptions about why this happened to them or how they ended up in this situation. Um, you know, we, we can't forget that people are responsible for their own behavior. So when someone is abusive, we should be asking why have they been able to get away with this instead of why did you stay? If someone disclosed to you that they were in an abusive relationship and the first thing that they hear is why didn't you just leave? They're instantly going to feel your alliances with their abuser and not with them. And so they're going to shut down. They're going to retreat um, and go back to that place in their head that they've already been for however long they were in the abusive relationship. Um, And so this is really a huge disservice to continue blaming and putting the responsibility on them. Um, You know, when, when you're abused, 
it's easy to blame yourself. You do blame yourself because your abuser knows how to put the blame on you all the time. And they know it will keep you trapped. It'll keep you with them. If you feel like it's your fault, then you're the only one who has to change anything, not your abuser. And so at some point, it's almost like the person being victimized keeps doing the abuser's work for them and it's the perfect system. Abusers start by planting seeds of self-doubt and, you know, targeting your insecurities. Maybe they make you share things with them, share vulnerabilities or past trauma um, with them so that it's like they have ammo against you and they know the right time to bring it up and turn it around on you. Oh, you're just like your mother when you say that. Um, You know, no wonder you're acting this way. You're weak or whatever it might be. They know what to use and they know how to use it. And that's part of why they're so good at this and why they're so good at getting away with this. Of course, most of us tend to want to see the good in another person and especially a partner. We want to give them the benefit of the doubt, especially in the beginning of a relationship. You know, we're excited, we're hopeful, um, you know, we, we see the best in them and we're just getting started. And so it's easy for us to look past those things and make justifications. And if abusive behavior doesn't start until later in the relationship, well, by that point, we might feel like we've invested so much already that we can't imagine walking away or we meet, we might see it as a failure, you know, especially if we have insecurities that revolve around giving up or failure, not being tough enough, things like that. I think that many people especially women, have been taught to people-please and put other people first and sort of put their own pain to the side. So why wouldn't we see leaving as going against everything that we've been taught? It is just way too easy to be on the outside and not have experienced abuse or violence in a relationship and think that it's just simple to leave. You know, it, it's so easy to judge on the outside. And it's important to recognize that here's the thing. Nobody dates an abuser. Nobody chooses to be with a monster. We choose to be with someone that we see potential in or we feel hopeful about or we're excited about. You know, maybe we're just giving someone a chance And as time goes on, the abusive behavior starts to slowly happen and mix in with all the good things. So this is why a lot of people in violent relationships don't actually recognize it as abuse. Or they might not recognize when it's happening. We think that it'll be obvious to us because we think we know what it looks like. You know, it looks like near death and kidnapping and all the things that are sensationalized in movies and posters and you know all those those stereotypes about what abuse looks like 
but the context of the individual relationship you know is so important we we see it as going through a tough time or relationship conflict especially if we have a history of abuse in childhood or maybe there was like a tumultuous family relationship it'll feel normal when we see it again later in life it won't surprise us it won't catch us off guard because to us that's expected so another thing that's really important to say here is that leaving is not the end of violence and it's never simple so statistically during a separation or just after this is the most dangerous time this is the most high risk time where severe violence is most likely to happen if an abuser catches you leaving or gets a whiff that you might be leaving or after they've found out that you've left this is when we're most likely to be severely hurt so i mean there are countless stories of victims who left or tried to leave and were either severely injured maimed or killed you know just last year um there was a young indigenous woman in my community who was attacked by her abusive ex-boyfriend and unfortunately she recently died as a result of those injuries just a few years before that another woman in my community was shot and killed by her husband after trying to separate from him and both of them were in their 70s so these are just two examples that have been close to home for me and we can see that it doesn't matter what your age is or how long the relationship lasted how serious you know what stage you were in it doesn't matter it's always the same risk the same cycle so in the last episode i shared that power and control are at the core of abusive behavior and when someone tries to leave or successfully leaves it's the ultimate loss of control for an abuser so we can never underestimate what someone will do in a desperate situation and to them losing control of the person they've been controlling this is a desperate situation so just because you've left or you made it out of the house or you you know you st- you left and you went somewhere else that does not mean that it's over so this is where we usually see an increase in stalking behavior you know going to their workplace following them to class um, family friends showing up reaching out to them hey where are they I want to talk to them going to their home invading their home uh, kidnapping kidnapping of children or pets, um, cyber stalking, blackmail, threats, harassment, and planned attacks, you know, unfortunately, sometimes resulting in murder or murder-suicide. According to the Domestic Violence Death Review Committee, um, this is a committee that reviews 
um, domestic violence-related deaths in Ontario, and um, about 70% of these deaths had happened during a separation or after separation. So you might think that more would happen while they're still together, but, you know, we know that leaving is such a high-risk time, and so this statistic really shows that. So there is a real tangible danger that comes with leaving, uh, but there's also a psychological impact. There's a, a, an emotional impact behind it. So I want you to just take a minute here, and if you're able to, close your eyes and think about all of the comforts that you have in your life right now. Despite what might be going on around you, you know, in your personal life or at work, in the world, think about what you have to retreat to. You know, do you have a nice comfy bed with a favorite pillow or blanket? Do you have a favorite mug that you like to use or dishes that mean a lot to you? Think about your clothes that you love, your books. Do you have friends or family that live close to you? Do you have a favorite bar or coffee shop in your neighborhood? Think about your routine and all these things that you like about it and where you are right now. So now, I'm going to tell you that you need to leave all of that behind. Right now, you're going to walk away from all of it and start fresh. New phone, new wardrobe, new house or apartment that you have to find by yourself, new job, new community, all on one income now, maybe without a vehicle, and maybe you had pets that you had to leave behind, or even children. So this is what a lot of victims are being told to do, and yet we make it sound so easy. Just leave. This isn't easy for anyone to do, regardless of if you're in an abusive relationship or not. It's just way too easy to be on the outside and make it sound so simple. Just leave. We also have to reflect on how privileged our lens is when we assume that it's easy for someone to just leave. You know, would we... Would they face a language barrier or, you know, have trouble accessing personal and legal documents to find a place to live or find a place to work? What kind of discrimination might they face when they try to reach out for support, you know, based on a history of discrimination, you know, going through legal or financial systems? Do they have a spiritual or supportive community that they can turn to? Do they have any money? Do they have good credit? Or do they have a lot of debt? So there's so much to consider before deciding to leave. And this is why we have to think about it as a process rather than an event. It's not something that just happens and it takes so much planning, so much safety planning. There are so many things to consider, especially if you have children. So 
despite all of this, all of these things, and the fact that it's almost impossible to ask, why did you stay without victim blaming? Why is it so important to answer this question? Well, the fact that I still hear victim blaming, not just by, you know, people who don't know anything about domestic violence, people around me, but also from police officers, judges, lawyers, um, people who work with victims and should know more about this. I still hear it. Um, There's so many misconceptions that undercut the dangerousness of abuse. And so to me, it would seem pretty critical to try to bridge this gap in understanding so that as a society, hopefully we can start to shift further away from victim blaming and more towards abuser accountability. So usually there are a lot of different reasons instead of just one reason for someone to stay in an abusive relationship. And I think a good place to start is for me to share the reasons behind why I stayed. So in the beginning of my relationship, it started out like it usually does. I was um, excited to meet someone new. I had just moved away from home for the first time. I was going to school and um, I was excited to make my own decisions and not have to answer to my parents or, you know, all the usual stuff. So I met someone who I thought was fun. Um, Everyone really seemed to like him, seemed to uh, have a good time and want to be social and do things. Um, And he was older than me. So that was really exciting that I thought, well, here's going to be someone who's more mature. They're, um, you know, going to be interested in a more serious relationship. And so we started out just dating and having fun and he seemed really sweet. He was kind of shy at first and, um, you know, made a lot of effort to put really cute dates together and was trying, I could see how hard he was trying to impress me. And yeah, I was really drawn to that. I was really excited. And um, there were no serious red flags for me at the time. Of course, looking back, I see them now. Um, You know, showing up at my door and constantly wanting to spend time with me and constantly sending me messages and wanting to do everything together. At the time, I thought that was really sweet and showed how much he cared and how much he wanted to uh, be with me. You know, it showed his effort. And, you know, things did turn probably a few weeks into the relationship. And I still remember the first time he was ever physically aggressive with me. And I was kind of in disbelief about it. So when he made an excuse, it was so easy for me to just excuse it because it was the first time and he 
hadn't done anything like that before. He hadn't made me feel um, uncomfortable or fearful before. So I, I easily brushed it off and just said, oh, you know, it's just a one-off. And what started to happen, because this was at the beginning of me having moved away to school, so I didn't know anyone. Um, I was in a new community, and I was pretty far away from my family and my friends back home. So I was only really going home a few times a year, and my main influence was my abuser. He was just down the hall from me, and... Um, you know, that made me a lot more isolated. And so the more isolated I was, the further away that um, supportive family influence was from me, and the less I was able to think for myself and remember the things that I know and the things that I was taught about being treated with respect and having a healthy relationship. This became my normal, um, my, my routine with this abusive person. So as things went on, I was spending most of my time with him and his friends. And uh, <laughs> in my experience, uh, young men struggle to hold other young men accountable for unhealthy behavior, um, and that's exactly what was happening. He was mistreating me, he was saying uh, derogatory things, really inappropriate things, calling me names. He was very physical and would always have his hands on me one way or another, and I really can't recall a single time that anyone ever called him out on it. And so the more that that went on, um, the more normal it felt because even if I had a feeling in my gut like this isn't, this isn't good, um, nothing was proving that. It was all in my head. There was nothing happening on the outside to say, hey, you might be right. <laughs> so that was my influence, and it made it easier for me to stay and accept it. I also um, was really not in a good place, and I don't like to think of people themselves as vulnerable, but I think that people have vulnerable times in their life. And so for me, this was a very vulnerable time in my life. I was working on my self-esteem, and I was also on my own for the first time. And so there was a lot of pressure, a lot of um, new experiences, and I hadn't developed all of the skills because I was just a young person. So there was a lot working against me to you know, put me in a vulnerable position. And it was very quick for my abuser to pick up on this. I remember in the beginning, he 
had asked me to tell him about things that had happened to me in my life and um, he pressured me to share things with him that I wasn't ready to talk about Um, and eventually he would use these things against me later on you know he learned my insecurities and he would make comments about them that were just jabs here and there um, to make me feel less worthy and it sort of like chips away at your strength and chips away at what you know and what you feel and gets in the way of you trusting your gut and you trusting your brain now you start to think you know these are insecurities that I've had and now someone is telling me that they see this in me that this is true about me and when you hear something enough you start to believe it and so I was at the mercy of him because I felt that um, clearly this is as good as it's going to get. Who would want me? You know, I'm lucky that someone wants me. And these are things that he would actually say to me. He would say, you know, no one's going to want you. You should be grateful. You should be lucky that you have me. No one else would want to be with you. Um, you know, just be grateful for what you have. So this um, really kept me under his control. Now, again, it can be difficult to hear that and not think, well, if someone told me that, I would just tell them to go fuck themselves. Sure, maybe you would. Um, And a lot of people who know me know that I'm a very strong person, I'm good at speaking up for myself, and, you know, there's things that I won't tolerate. So it's hard to imagine a strong person, you know, accepting that. But this is why we have to look at the context. You know, when I was in this position, um, I had been at a vulnerable point I was away from my supporters I was in a new community a new environment and so I didn't have my regular resources that I was used to and the things around me and the people around me that helped me to feel strong I was doing it on my own with such a negative destructive voice in my head and I was constantly hearing this message all day long, every day. And so again, over time, this chips away at your strength and your autonomy and your self-worth. So this is why it doesn't matter who you are or what your position is in life. Anyone can be tricked this way. Um, it's, it's called grooming. And, um, you know, I'll say it, I had a lot of pride, and I think that that got in the way sometimes, um, you know, of me admitting what was really going on. I knew that people saw me as a strong person and very capable, and um, how could I ever admit that 
I've been tricked this way? How could I ever admit that this was happening to me? To me, it would make me look weak and I pride myself on being strong. So, you know, that's one example of the mental trap that we can be under. And it's also very embarrassing. I'm just going to talk about that because I think that's that's something that uh, isn't said out loud enough. It is embarrassing as fuck to say that someone did this to you and, you know, to, to admit that we were in this situation and to have to explain ourselves to people around us. That is embarrassing. And so it's easier to just not talk about it or act like it didn't happen or like it's not happening, um, especially if we are in a position of power somewhere else. We might feel like, oh, this is my, you know, this is my outlet for feeling powerful. And so my personal or romantic life is the area that's just going to suffer and sort of take the back burner. An example of this is there was a time where my parents came to visit me. Um, They knew I was in a relationship and they really didn't know this person. And of course, I had kept a lot of it to myself and was filtering what I told them. So they could feel something was going on. They wanted to meet this guy, see us together. So they took us out for lunch or something. And I just remember feeling so humiliated the entire time. And I did everything that I could to avoid them coming to visit. I made excuse after excuse for why it wouldn't work for them to visit or why it wouldn't work for um, my abuser to come with us. I did not want them to meet him because I was so embarrassed that they would see this person and see that this is the person that I chose. This is the person that I'm with and I knew that they would recognize something was off and I was not ready to be outed like that. I was not ready to be seen like that. To me, I was comfortable with where things were. Not safe, not happy, but comfortable because at that point the abuse was so familiar to me and it felt like a really um, humiliating step. And again, it's never... Uh, rarely is it all bad. As things go on, you know, it could take months for it to be abusive or it could take years for it to be abusive. I was only in the relationship for one year and it didn't take long for it to get abusive. It didn't take long for it to get very abusive. And things progressed quickly. And in my situation, it did get to a point where there was no good anymore. It um, was more like a hostage situation. Um, and at that point, it wasn't anything good that I was holding on to. 
it truly was survival. The way that I describe it is you're just functioning like a robot and there was sort of a numbness where it, it was like, what else can you do to me? What, what are you going to do? It didn't feel like it could get worse. And so at that point, I truly just didn't have the strength to imagine leaving. I was so beaten down. I was so uh, vulnerable and um, un- unable to care for myself. And I didn't have the capacity to leave. I didn't have the capacity to reach out for help. It did get really bad when I was unable to go home. Um, It had been a long time of me being away from my family where, you know, this for me was an environment where I could feel recharged and feel like myself again. And so going so long without that, um, it, it pushed me closer to my abuser and further into my own mind. I just really didn't have the strength and didn't have the capacity. It's interesting too that the apartment that I was in at the time in my backyard uh, was the police station. So you might look at that and think, well, the police were right there. They were right there. Why didn't you go to them? And to be honest, it never crossed my mind, not once. It was the last thing I would have thought of because it was so normal at this point and I truly felt doomed. I felt this is what my future is going to look like and I had sort of succumbed to this. I had accepted it and... um, this felt like this was it for me, especially as um, things got more physically violent. I truly didn't think that I would even live through the experience. So my hope was gone. And when you don't have hope, there's no way out. And It was easier for me to give up any hope that I had when my abuser made comments about, you know, how good his lawyer was and how, um, how much of an authority his father was. His father was, um, apparently had a very high level position, um, in security and had a lot of connections and a lot of money and he would frequently brag about that he would say well if you call the police they'll just arrest both of us and you'll be in just as much trouble as me um you know these are things that I had never heard and I had never even thought of and so I believed him he was my number one resource for everything at this point um He also held my phone, so um, while he was around, I had to hand my phone into him, and he would manage it, Um, so 
it's not like I could just call someone or text someone um, without him seeing it. I had to give up all of my passwords and everything like that. So nothing was ever private. I was never alone. He was always there. He was always around me. If I had to go somewhere, I had to get his permission. Um, and so I had to, I, I was truly at his mercy. He tried to stop me from working. He really um, wanted me to stay in his control. So, you know, even to go out and do something, I wasn't allowed to do it without him. The only time I ever went out without him was when um, he was away. So if you think about, you know, putting all of this together, when would I have had a meaningful opportunity to go and get help? And really, there was a lot of fear about what could happen if I did call the police. First of all, you know, I didn't want to make it a big deal. I was worried what would happen to my reputation. I was worried what would happen to my future opportunities. What if I got in trouble? And, you know, I don't have a lawyer. I certainly don't have money for a lawyer. And if his lawyer is really good, well, what are the chances that it's going to work out well for me? This may be difficult to understand when you hear it on the outside, um, but I didn't have an apologetic abuser. He never apologized. The, the whole, oh, I'm so sorry, it won't happen again, I'll, I'll change, that never happened once. He was never apologetic. Um, if I ever mentioned that he had made me afraid or hurt me, it was like he didn't hear it. It never happened. So I was not um, staying there because I really loved him or I felt really hopeful or I felt like he was sorry or he wouldn't do it again. I resented him with every fiber of my being. I hated him. I hated being with him. And um, I think ultimately the reason I stayed is because I truly did think that it could never get better. And I truly believed that that is what I deserved. And that is all I would ever get. And no one would ever love me. And no one would ever want me as much as he does. You know, it was very twisted. If he is this obsessed with me and this, you know, jealous and this aggressive and, you know, this whatever, then, um, you know, that must mean, you know, this is how much he cares about me. And even though I hated him and I didn't feel good with him, he didn't make me happy, I felt like I should just suck it up and be grateful because this is what I this is what I get. This is all it's gonna be. And of course looking back now, I'm happily married to a wonderful man who could not be more opposite. 
I've never met anyone like him. And, you know, I never could have imagined that someone like that could even exist. But at the time, I wouldn't have thought of that as being a possibility. Um, you know, there's that really cheesy saying, you, t- you, you accept the love that you think you deserve. It's so corny, but it's so true. And that was really the case for me. So those are my reasons for why I stayed at the time. And maybe you heard that and still don't understand or still, you know, are struggling with, well, why did you stay though? Like you could have left any time. There's times where he wasn't around and you could have just gotten up and left. Yes, that's true. Um, You know, it's really hard to rationally understand why someone stays in that situation, but there's nothing rational about abuse. So on the outside looking in, it seems painfully obvious. You know, you could have left here, you could have done this, you could have done that. There's lots of things that I could have done, but that's not what happened. And it's impossible for someone to understand how dangerous and complicated that situation really is unless they've been in your shoes because context is everything to understanding how dangerous a situation is. So I've shared my reasons and, you know, there's lots of other reasons why someone may continue to um, find themselves in that situation. So I'll list off a few others. It's not going to cover every scenario because, you know, there there's a lot of different scenarios that, um, you know, I probably can't even think of and I'm not aware of because it wasn't my experience. So I mentioned that my abuser was not apologetic, but many are. And getting an apology um, can feel like a way out and a way to get relief from the fear and the worry and the anxiety and the stress of waiting for abuse to happen. Um, If an abuser apologizes, in the moment it feels like a quick way to make it stop and make it better and just move forward. So having an apologetic abuser can encourage someone to keep giving the try and keep believing in them, especially if good things are still happening. You know, let's say you go to church together or maybe you have kids and you're involved with the school or, you know, there's going to be so much to hold on to as a couple and in your lifestyle beyond just what goes on behind closed doors. If you have children together, then a lot of people will choose to stay for the sake of the kids, especially if they are not recognizing the behavior as abusive, which many victims don't. Um, You know, if you think about it, you would see it as a way of protecting them 
if you feel like it's something that just goes on in your relationship with your abusive partner. You feel like, um, well, this is just between me and him and it doesn't have to affect them. You know, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to um, take their father away from them. Um, And so you might stay. But even though separating um, between parents does affect children, we know that it does, it actually um, affects them in a positive way when there's violence in the relationship. If the violence doesn't happen very often or it hasn't been very severe, we're less likely to think that it will get to a severe place. Uh, We don't have any evidence at that point that it's going to get really bad. And so we're not hoping for that to happen. So why would we think that that's going to happen next? Unfortunately, there is a natural trajectory where it only gets worse without intervention. And so this can be pretty dangerous, even if it doesn't get severely physical yet, doesn't mean that it won't, but it might not feel as serious to us at the time. If we are worried about the financial impact of leaving, let's say um, you're solely on your partner's income, you haven't been working, maybe you've had a partner who has stopped you from working or has tried to control you, has controlled the finances, you might not have a bank account You might not have any experience opening a bank account or using credit cards or anything like that. Um, You know, especially if you have debt or you have poor credit or you have no credit because everything has been in your partner's name. How are you going to leave? How are you going to support yourself financially, especially if you have children? Um, So that's a big reason why a lot of women would stay, especially if you've been together long term and the longer that you've been in that relationship for you're more familiar with it and you're more comfortable with it and scientifically speaking we tend to choose what is more familiar to us so there's a lot of unknown when we think about leaving and starting from scratch especially if children are dependent on us we're not thinking about just our future, but we're also thinking about our kids' futures. Um, We might also feel like we are the only person who understands our abuser and that there's a chance that we can actually change them or help them. Um, This is sort of where that people-pleasing characteristic comes in where we feel a responsibility or like if we left, we would be a bad person or we'd be doing something bad um, by leaving someone who we see as hurting or broken or in pain or um, in need of help and support. It's never a victim's job to heal or help an abuser. Um, That 
power dynamic is really toxic and it's already been established that there's no trust, there's no respect, you're not in equal power, and so you're not on a balanced playing field to support someone. It would always come with strings attached. So we feel an obligation, but we're not the right person to do that. Another one of the more difficult reasons that victims stay is out of love. And how can you love someone who hurts you? How can you love someone who, you know, threatens you and restricts you? It doesn't make sense. But we have to understand that someone being abused may genuinely love their abuser and they might have a specific definition of love at that time. This is the love that they've experienced. This is the love that they've had. And part of it is also the connection and the need that that meets by having someone around. Even if you do feel that you genuinely love this person, that may well be true. But we're also holding on to the good things, the positive things, the good times, um, and overlooking the bad and the hurt. Um, But that's a fantasy. It can never be a true, loving, positive relationship if we're being abused. On average, um, someone will try to leave their abuser seven times before they stay separated. And I think that, you know, a big reason for this is the love, the genuine love and care and connection that you feel to an abuser. Um, Even if it's not healthy, even if it doesn't always feel good, you have this person around you all the time. And we get used to that. Loneliness is an extremely painful emotion. And so some of us might feel that even if it's not healthy love, I would still choose to have this presence in my life over being alone. And that's a really, really scary thing. Um, and there's a, there's a term for this called trauma bonding. Um, it's sort of like um, a Stockholm syndrome where there's a love and a care and a feeling of protection and obligation to someone who's holding you hostage or to an abuser in this case. And trauma bonding happens when you have a relationship with an abuser that goes through this cycle of, you know, criticizing, um, being put down, um, and feeling like the responsibility is on me to save this relationship, to fix it, and 
receive validation from my partner wherever I can get it. So we become willing to push past all of these negative aspects of the relationship just to try and capture and try and hold on to the positive things that come from it where we feel like we're getting this validation. The one time that they give us a compliment or the one time that they reward us with something. It's sort of this idea that another person completes you but at the end of the day we're relying on another person to fulfill something in us that we have to do ourselves. No one else can do it for us. We have to feel good about ourselves and not rely on validation from another person. You know, I hear this all the time. This this is when you have someone who's arrested for domestic violence and then the victim, the person who's been often physically injured, goes to the police and says, please, I don't want them to be charged. Please don't get them in trouble. Or there's a restraining order put in place and they're trying to get the judge or the crown attorney to drop the restraining order. You know, I want to connect with them. I want to talk to them. Please don't keep us apart. Don't separate us. And oftentimes, if someone is voicing that they don't see themselves as a victim and they do want a restraining order to be um, dropped, then they this happens. And so the cycle starts back up again. It's a level of defending your abuser that happens as a result of the manipulating, the gaslighting, the self-doubt that's been created over time, and how deeply they have been able to chip away at our self-worth. You know, the abuse has been so severe and frequent and it's gone on for so long that we are so dependent on our abuser and don't know how to be without them. Another really big reason, and you know, in in my experience, this was a big one, but um, is fear of what might happen when you leave fear that all of the threats that they've made might be followed through and especially if they've made threats and acted on them before or have been physically violent before if we've seen how far their behavior can go then yeah absolutely you believe when they make threats you believe that they will actually do it So if you're afraid um, that they might hurt someone or that they're going to hurt you worse than they have ever before, you're going to stick with what you know and you're going to stick with what's comfortable and what's predictable over something that could be, in our mind, much, much worse. We're afraid in the situation, but at the time it feels 
more scary to think about what we don't know and what we can't predict. Um, Depending on your generation or your upbringing, if there's a spiritual or cultural way that you've been brought up to think about relationships, we might feel that there's obligation or duty to stay in a relationship regardless of what goes on in it. Um, I was raised with a Christian belief system and, you know, this has been a very misogynistic belief system in a lot of ways where um, the man is the head of the house and, you know, he's expected to have a dutiful wife who will be loyal and honor him and obey him and that certainly had an impact on how I was raised and um, what I believed to some degree where you know that sort of lines up with the social pressures that we put on young people to you know women are supposed to be submissive to men and so if you find yourself in a relationship with a male who's aggressive or dominant, then it's going to be more natural to find yourself being submissive in that dynamic. Even traditionally, a lot of women were told to stay in a relationship and put up with their husband's violent behavior or unacceptable behavior because it was your responsibility as a mother as a wife, um, this is what is expected of you. And so even if you're unhappy or unsafe or unwell, there might be some pressure coming from your family or a spiritual community um, pressuring you to stay, maybe trying to convince you, um, you know, convince you that it's the right thing to do or that you know, you can't go against God and God's wishes and whatever. There's, there's so many outside influences um, that just pile on top of the influence of our abuser. We also may have had um, histories or experiences with systems and institutions that were oppressive, discriminatory, they've led to violence, Um, you know, there's a real distrust there. So, you know, even with the question of leaving, well, how do you leave? Do you just get up and leave? Do you look for police intervention? Do you try to find support? Do you try to, you know, get your abusive partner in trouble? Like, (laughs) you know, what are we talking about here? Um, Because if we think about police intervention and, you know, depending on your background, um, that might not be a safe option for you. That might be the last phone call that you want to make. And so there could be fear that if I reach out for help, then maybe an institution will get involved and I don't want them to because that's potentially dangerous for me. Or for my children. If I leave, then is CAS going to get involved? 
What's going to happen to my children? What is this going to mean for them and for our family? Um, The risk of losing custody, the risk of experiencing further violence. You know, it's, it's not a perfect system by any means. And it's not like there's an endless amount of supports and resources that are, you know, available 24-7 to everyone, barrier-free. That's ideal, and it should be, it should be available, but it's not. That's just the reality is it's not. Services are, you know, underfunded, short-staffed, overworked. Um, A lot of services that, you know, are not the police or CAS, not government-funded, And, you know, there's lots of great organizations and great people wanting to help. It's just a reality that they're limited and there's no one-stop shop. So, you know, it's not like you can just tell someone that you need help and you're instantly going to get it. That's, That's not always the reality. So, leaving is a really complicated, tedious, and often dangerous situation. It's not something to be taken lightly. And um, Dr. Peter Jaffe, who is one of the founders of the Domestic Homicide Death Review Committee, he puts this in a really, um, I really like the way he says this, but he refers to staying as a form of safety planning and I think that this can be true in a lot of ways because we know that leaving has a lot of barriers and this is a really critical time for violence to escalate Um, so sometimes staying is a way to reduce the harm and keep yourself as safe as possible in a dangerous situation I know that sounds silly but it's sort of like you can predict it and if you can predict it then you can plan because if you just blindly up and leave you don't know what to predict you can't plan you have to have a plan in place otherwise that you know seven times of leaving before we finally stay we're going to find ourselves in that cycle so when we think about leaving an abusive situation This is going to be a much shorter list because ultimately the root behind leaving uh, is we're ready and we're not going to leave unless we're ready. If we leave or if someone tries to make us leave or tries to pull us out of that situation, sure, we might be out for a little bit, but if it wasn't our decision and we weren't ready, We are going to go back. That is just a reality. We're going to go back if it wasn't our choice. And, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try, right? We should always try. We should always try to keep someone safe and get them to safety and stability. But we have to recognize that they have to have some investment in it in order for it to stick. And it can be really discouraging when you are supporting someone in that situation and 
you know, sometimes you are offering this great plan. It seems flawless and uh, you've thought of everything. Everything's covered and you're having these good conversations with them. It seems like there's a breakthrough and then they're still not ready. Um, Or you try, you try your plan and they are gone and, and separated from their partner for a little bit, but then they go back. It is devastating to be in a helping situation or in a helping role and that happens. It's so discouraging. But the reason it happens is because they weren't ready. And we can never give up trying to support them and trying to help them find safety because eventually they will be ready. And if we have given up because, oh, they, you know, they went through with this plan, but then they just went back to them. Well, what can I do? They have to help themselves. Sure, but the time that they are ready and we've given up, then what? There will be a time when they are ready. And we should never, ever close that door, no matter how much we think that they're too far gone. Everyone has a breaking point. And if they see a possibility for something else and they're ready and they have the strength and the encouragement and the support, they will, they will follow through. They will take it and they will thrive when they're ready. So for me, um, and it's, it's funny, no one has ever asked me why I left. It seems like there's more interest in, well, why'd you stay? What made you stay? But, you know, I, I would encourage more people to ask, what made you leave? Because this is often the start of where someone moves from victim to survivor. You know, I don't understand why we focus so much on the part where someone experiences powerlessness and a loss of control. Why is that, you know, we want all the juicy details. We're so selfish that way. But let's start asking the, you know, the question about, well, how did you get the strength to leave? What made it different this time? You know, let's invite that conversation with survivors about when they took their power back. And make more space for this because after leaving is a critical period and we do want to focus on their strength and resilience and open up that conversation because after you leave this is a time where there's a lot of loneliness and a lot of shame and um, you know there's so much to process so for me um, When I left, things were definitely increasing in terms of the violence and how dangerous it was. And I was fortunately able to get a break. Um, It was over a reading week while I was still in university. And I was apart from my abuser um, for an entire week. And I was with my family. So that time for me was so precious and that is what did it for me. I was able to recharge my battery in a way 
And so when I returned after the break, it's like I had this strength built up and had this energy that I hadn't had in a long time. And I really, you know, I was a bit, uh, (laughs) I was a bit stupid in how I went about it, but something just came over me where I had more capacity than I had had in a long time. And I was firm and I stood strong and I just told him to get out. And I think the only reason why this was safe for me was because he was so shocked to hear me talk this way because I had never spoken to him this way. He was used to me submitting and, you know, not talking back to him and not standing my ground. And so all of a sudden there was this force where I was not bending and I had authority and I had power back and control back. And so he reverted to this sort of shocked, powerless dynamic and he did leave. And I locked my doors. He left, you know, not not a minute later, he was circling the building and calling and banging on doors and windows and trying to get in. So I actually had friends come and and rescue me in their vehicle and I stayed with friends for a couple days. But for me, I was ready. And yeah, I didn't plan it, wasn't very smart, um, could have done it a lot better. There were issues with stalking and whatnot after that. Um, And I'll get into that on another episode. But the point is, I had recharged because I was around um, safe and supportive resources for a long enough period that now I was ready, now I had the strength, and I I committed to it. I was not expecting it, I was not planning it to happen in that moment, but something came over me and I made a decision that I'm going to stick to my guns. And if I had wavered, um, you know, it could have, I, I think about this could have been a very different situation. So I definitely don't recommend anyone do it the way that I did. I never really learn things the easy way. I always learn things the hard way, but, um, you know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So anyway, the interesting thing is that when I left my abuser, um, after that, I was spending a lot of time with my um, social group that was around me and the people in my life were like dead silent. Like nobody said a thing. Nobody asked me questions. um, Probably because they didn't know what to say or maybe they just honestly thought it's over now. Um, So what nobody knew was that Four days after I left, I reached out to my abuser and wanted to meet with him and talk about getting back together. 
And this was definitely in a moment of vulnerability. I was extremely lonely. I had all this regret. And, you know, it didn't matter that I felt in danger and I didn't like him. I didn't want to be with him. I didn't want a future with him. I was, you know, sort of taken over by this loneliness and this fear that I had made a mistake and that all of the things that he said about me were true, that no one would ever want me and I'm lucky to have him. And wow, I just fucked this up. Like, (laughs) no, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. And for me, it wasn't over because I was still in that critical period. You know, I almost went back to the person that I believed could kill me. That's insane. That doesn't make sense. Um, but again, it w- it's a critical period, not just for what an abuser could do, but for a survivor or a victim to come to terms with it and accept the situation and be vulnerable to healing. Um, Another reason why someone will leave is actually the same reason why they would stay, which is for the sake of children. So if you have children, you stay because you think you're protecting them. But then eventually, you also leave because you think you're protecting them. And this is the best way to keep them safe. You know, again, the circumstances around someone leaving is going to be really individual. And it's going to vary a lot just depending on the context around the relationship and around the situation. But ultimately what someone needs in order to be ready is, you know, hope. Hope is at the root. If we don't see hope or a possibility for something else, then we're not going to have the strength and the motivation to leave. And so if there's anything that you can do to support someone, it's give them hope and, um, remind them about what they deserve and remind them about what is possible. It doesn't need to be like this. This is not, um, this is not it. There's so much more than this and there's people you haven't even met yet who are going to love you in ways that you don't even know. When you've been, um, controlled and you felt powerless for so long, you need things that are going to make you feel like you have power and feel like you are in control and you can take back the reins in your own life. Sometimes you just need the strength and the rest and the space. Um, If you don't have the space or the opportunity to get away from, from an abuser, then leaving is out of the question. It's it's not going to be a possibility. Ultimately, someone needs stability. 
someone needs to be believed and have support and hope and see see a possibility for something else long term and see a future for themselves if we don't have that and if we don't have the capacity and the safety and the stability then it's not going to happen so it doesn't mean give up on someone never give up on someone because circumstances will change and it won't always be like that maybe they're not ready but eventually they will be ready and we we should never give up on someone trust me i know how difficult and excruciating it is for someone to be on the outside watching that happen to someone they care about um it's it's a very difficult frustrating painful situation to be in um and it doesn't mean that there's nothing you can do, but you can't pick them up and rescue them the way that you want to. I know you want to, and you probably could do a lot to support them and a lot to help them. Um, but the way to think about it is try to be the soft space for them where they know that they can always come to you. It doesn't mean they will, but if they know that they can and that door will always be open then when they're ready and when the time comes they will and it's important to always keep your word um, and always follow through it's really again it's really confusing to understand and to wonder well why would someone stay why would someone put up with that it seems so simple but Hopefully, after hearing me talk, you recognize that it's way more complicated than you ever could have thought, and there's no simple solution. But one of the best things that I heard that I'll share with you, um, something that you can say to someone if you feel like they're in danger, but maybe you're worried about putting them in more danger or you're, you're not exactly sure what they need. Um, this is something that was taught to me by Tamia Nagy, who is a survivor of human trafficking. Um, and she said this amazing phrase that I want everyone in the world to know, which is, is there anything that I can do that won't put you in more danger? This is just a great phrase to fall back on if you're in a helping role, um, or if you're sort of unsure about the situation you know maybe you only have like a quick amount of time to to spend with this person when their abuser's not around because usually they're you know glued to each other this is a great phrase to say because even if they say no there's nothing or even if they pretend that nothing's going on they have heard you they know that you get it and they believe that you um are aware and there's a possibility for something else there's a possibility for support so a lot of times again as much as we want to pick them up and pull them out of that situation and rescue them we can't do that because we can't take away their personal strength and autonomy it's not always safe to do that and it's not going to stick unless it's their choice
quick story that I'll share with you that I heard from someone who was talking about resilience and he shared a story um, when he was working as a counselor with a young woman who was in an abusive relationship and she was actually a law student. She sort of had this sense of pride like you know I'm supposed to be strong I'm supposed to be in this powerful position and yet here I am in this this um you know abusive situation but she wasn't seeing it as abusive she was struggling to admit to herself what it was because she couldn't believe that she would be caught up in this situation and eventually he got thinking with her about you know how is it that you know I'm in this I'm in the courtroom all the time and I'm so powerful and respected and I have you know all this assertiveness and all these great skills and then I come home and I'm this victim like it doesn't make sense I can't wrap my head around this I can't make sense of this and the two of them got talking and realized what's the first thing that you do when you get home and she goes to work in the courtroom so she's wearing all these power suits and these blazers and like she's all dressed up and professional and looking like an authority and she realized that as soon as she gets home she gets changed and so he thought well why don't you try something when you come home and you're wearing one of your power suits try to stay in your clothes and see how it feels and so she um, she came home and she was in her power suit and she was in the courtroom all day and her abuser comes home and she essentially I guess ended the relationship over time she started to take her power back and she started to use the the way that she felt when she was in court and her skills and her assertiveness and the person that she was in this other facet of her world she brought that into her relationship and into the intimate part of her life and was able to find her strength in that so I just think that's a really cool story of leaving and taking your power back. Um, It feels really empowering and inspiring, and I don't know all the details beyond that, but I just think that's a really good example of how we have access to strength and resilience, and it's in all of us, but we have to be ready and we have to feel like we have what we need within ourselves before we can do that. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I hope you've been able to um, take away how complicated leaving really is and why we should steer away from asking this question and put the responsibility on abusers and ask the question, why is this still happening? Why is someone getting away with treating someone this way Um, because ultimately the responsibility is on the abuser. Um, So thanks for tuning in today. 
We've got some exciting interviews coming up. In the next couple episodes, we're going to be doing a two-part series around supporting someone post-abuse or post-violence, how to be a good supporting partner um, or family member, what to do, what not to do. It's going to be awesome. So stay tuned for that. And thanks for joining me on Unlearn Now Learn.